The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, good evening. Welcome to our five-week introduction to, I think it's called concentration, is it not? And um, sometimes I, I thought maybe I should have called it samadhi instead of concentration. That's the Buddhist word. And the word concentration, um, I think is a, for many people who speak English, it can uh, have associations that are maybe not so useful for the cultivation of samadhi. And um, <clears throat> I'm delighted to teach this course. Uh, I don't know, I think maybe, I, maybe I've only done it once before, and that was 16 years ago. And um, you know, the, uh, the primary thing we're known for here at IMC is mindfulness and insight. But mindfulness uh, is uh, very much supported by concentration. And the way that the mindfulness practice that uh, was taught to many of us, taught to me in Asia, was designed in such a way that uh, the context for practicing it uh, allowed for a very strong concentration to build up. And it's a little, little, um, what's unique about that or, or noteworthy about it is that the rhetoric the teachings, what was actually said about the practice was um, we do mindfulness, we don't do concentration. But uh, the whole setup was set up to get concentrated. And in fact, uh, and then, same thing, I was, I was in Burma in, when I was practicing in Japan. Uh, there, if they talked about what they did, they talked about doing concentration. And they'd say, you know, they'd yell sometimes, concentrate. Concentrate, you know, just get concentrated. And, um, but the whole context, the setup, the rituals, the format of the monasteries were all set up to support mindfulness. And so if you listen to the rhetoric of what people say about what the practice is, uh, you sometimes have to kind of open up more widely to understand there's a larger context for the teachings they're giving. And that the, sometimes that's just assumed or the people who are teaching it, it's kind of invisible. They don't think about it so much because the context is so strong. And so when uh, the mindfulness, um, those of us who practice in Asia came to, uh, back to the West and were teaching mindfulness, we kind of came back and were teaching the rhetoric of mindfulness and went along with this idea that mindfulness and concentration were two different things. And... Um, but we didn't really bring with us the context or the container for that mindfulness practice. And so the way that retreats are taught here, they um, often don't have the same kind of emphasis on maintaining and protecting the building of concentration as you have when I was like in, in Burma, where that was really built into the whole system. And to give you one little example of that, of how that worked, was that um, when we practiced in Burma, intensive retreats, uh, there was no yogi jobs. There was no work you had to do. All you had to do all day uh, was to do sitting meditation and walking meditation, you know, the whole day long. And um, 
The exception would be twice a day you got to go to a meal. And once a day, five day, six days a week, you go and meet with a teacher for either a Dharma talk or an interview. And but other, other than that, everything you, you're, and you're supposed to, con- you know, the whole day, there was the day of a break, having a break didn't really work. Uh, you know, you guess you could have, but, but um, the way it worked in Burma, you had to go to the teacher. And the first thing you said when you had an interview, you had to tell the teacher how many hours in the last 24 hours you'd done sitting meditation and how many hours you do walking meditation. And it would be very clear, very quickly, that you weren't up to the standard. <laughs> you know, so if it was anything less than 16 hours in 24 hours, you were in trouble. Like the eyebrow would go up. <clears throat> and so that kind of environment where you're not, do, you're not being distracted, there's not work to be done, there's no conversation with people, and you're just practicing. In my case, most of us Westerners, we practiced uh, in our rooms. We had our own cell, kind of monastic cell. And so we were there, kind of, I was meditating by myself for hours and hours and hours, days, months. And so that kind of environment is really one that's conducive towards developing a steadiness, a stillness, a quiet, an undistractedness of the mind that then supports the mindfulness practice. And think of mindfulness as having a very powerful telescope. And, but you want to have the telescope really well established on a tripod, on solid ground. And then, the, then you can kind of hold the telescope and really see what's there and but if you try to look at a star or look at the moon in a big telescope you're holding in your hand, you can't hold it still enough to really get it into focus, the object. So concentration is kind of like creating the tripod, the stability that allows mindfulness to do its deepest work. And that way, mindfulness and concentration really are partners. And uh, that's one of the primary things I'd like to convey to you today is that um, to, to not think of mindfulness and concentration as opposed to each other or, but really as uh, partners. And that uh, no matter how strong your concentration is, that's great. And, that, and then you can bring the mindfulness along with it. And uh, no matter how strong your mindfulness, that's great. And then you can bring concentration along with it to kind of support it. So the opportunity for this uh, series is to talk a little bit about uh, samadhi, the different factors of samadhi, uh, some of the things that happen as we develop concentration, some of the ways to develop it as we go along. And um, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I think of... When my, so that's why I like the word samadhi. Samadhi in, um, uh, is a very... In Indian culture, and in Indian religiosity, it's a very rich word that's much richer in associations and meanings and things than our word, uh, English word concentration. I think of the word samadhi, myself, my association, it's almost like samadhi is a, is a, a sacred temple. <clears throat> and, uh, and if you go to a wonderful sacred temple for some very special occasion, uh, you might dress well, you might clean yourself first, take a nice bath, be ready. You, you, you might enter into the uh, territory, the compound of the temple, and start getting a little quiet and a little bit more slightly reverential perhaps or respectful at least of where you're at. Uh, You're not going to go into the temple and, you know, start singing, um, uh, you know, some song by Madonna or something, you know. Come on, baby, light my fire or something from a a longer time, you know, and, you know, skip and whistle. You kind of, kind of, 
you want to get kind of you, you you enter with respect and care and and um, and uh, <clears throat> and then you so you go into the temple and and you might feel the reverence you might feel the sacredness of certain spots and places and it just feels maybe whole whole holistic for some people a sense of home sense of something special maybe a little bit timeless maybe um, that you're connected to some wider sensibility of of reality of what's sacred, what's special about oneself. And so for me, you know, I think of samadhi as kind of like a, akin to being a temple. And we're going, to the, we're going to some sacred place when we do samadhi. And so what, what kind of care do we do to go into such a place? And one of the cares we go into it is uh, we don't do it greedily. No greed. And we don't do it egotistically uh, to be kind of like, oh, I'm going to get concentrated. I'm, look at me. I'm going to be the hottest, the, the hottest concentrator on my block. I mean, people do. I've been involved and been seeing people and I've done a little bit of it too. Uh, there's competitive concentration, you know, and, you know, and to see who can, get, who can really have the samadhi and, you know, and I've sat there in meditation looking, you know, kind of, kind of looking through the side of my eye at other people meditating and say, that person is not concentrated. You know, but for me to say that, <laughs> guess who's not concentrated? <laughs> you know, I'm far from it. But, you know, so there, there's a, there's a, uh, there has been historically, you know, a lot of funny attitudes people have about the concentration and people get very goal-oriented, they get very greedy, they get conceited, they get very, de- they have high expectations, they get very idealistic, they um, almost materialistic sometimes with it. And sometimes people uh, approach it as if it's just a technique. If I just do this technique and I just do, and there's one technique, I just do this technique and bear down and hold myself to the technique, then boom, you know, it'll happen. But I, I kind of, you know, I mean, you might not, not agree with how I'm wording it here or how I'm describing it, but I really associate it more like um, going into, like I said, into a temple, into a sacred place, where you want to really, it's almost natural to go into it with a degree of humility, a degree of reverence, a degree of care and attention, and um, and kind of like you're stepping into a place where there's maybe going to be a, be grace, as opposed to an exchange, like just pay enough money and you'll get concentrated. You know, and uh, uh, <clears throat> I don't use the word grace that much. The word I associate with concentration is a gift. That when I when I when concentration kicks in for me, the samadhi kicks in. I really feel like it's a gift. I feel so blessed. I feel so fortunate. And as a gift, I don't really take credit for it. Uh, I take credit for uh, the preparation that has to happen. But uh, but to actually do that, when it actually happens, I just say, well, this is a gift, and and um, and I hope I never stop seeing it as a gift. Because it's just such a, it's such a joy and a pleasure to, uh, to sit and feel this wonderful gift come up and the brightness of it and the wellness of it. It's a great thing. <clears throat> so what is samadhi? Samadhi, uh, uh, the word is associated or sometimes translated in different ways. And... Um, and one, uh, some, of the, some of the ways of talking about it is as um, a collectedness of mind, a unification of mind, a, um, 
a stilling of the mind, a calming of the mind, a steadying, steadying of the mind, a focusing of the mind, a, um, a, uh, a, a purifying of the mind, cleansing of the mind, um, the uh, strong states of equanimity are associated with samadhi. The, um, uh, I, I sometimes like the English word composure as connected to samadhi, uh, that to really, really compose and center and settle on ourselves in a holistic way. <clears throat> it, um, <clears throat> uh, but all these words that in my mind uh, are words that, or many of them at least, that I associated with a state of being, not with a particular mental activity. And that's why the word concentration is a little bit difficult in English. Because we, if some people when they hear the word concentrate, think they have to kind of zero in like a laser and you know, just hold their attention in one place, like just hold it there and just kind of you know, bore down on it or you know, strain or just kind of, it's like a unitary, a u- single mental thing you're doing. <clears throat> and certainly there are mental faculties, mental activities that are being brought up and engaged in when we're developing samadhi. But samadhi itself is more of a state that we enter into. And it's a state of wholeness, of well-being, um, of um, joy, of, of peace. You know, it's all, uh, there's many different flavors of samadhi. Um, it's not just one flavor. And um, now why develop samadhi? <clears throat> why, why is this important for Buddhist practice? And why is it useful for human life? The um, um, samadhi is uh, uh, healing in many ways because uh, it's an antidote to stress. Uh, samadhi is a deep state of relaxation where the ways in which we're fragmented by the stresses and the preoccupations we have settle down, kind of dissipate. And, uh, and for some people who spend much of their days and maybe years in stressful states, fragmented states, distracted states, um, it's a kind of a revelation to settle down and experience, have a deep sense of, um, of peace or well-being uh, that's stress-free, that this is even possible. Um, the body relaxes, the mind relaxes, the heart relaxes. And for some of this, uh, it's healing in many ways. Um, in strong states of concentration that I've had, I've actually, the, the physical feelings in my body that I've had is one of course, coursing of healing energy through my body. But this is so healing, it's so good to have this kind of flow through. And, um, um, and I think, you know, it's now there's lots of supposedly clinical evidence that um, being de-stressed is good for your immune system, for your health, for all kinds of things. Um, it's also good for your mind. The concentrated mind is sharper. It has, uh, it's smarter. It's more creative. Uh, it can operate much more efficiently than a mind that's distracted and caught up. And uh, I said this the other day, but I've seen this for myself that uh, to this day that there are times where I'm like I'm going on retreat. I can come home. I'm more concentrated for a few days, and my mind is actually sharper. I can do quicker, faster, better work. Um, and then the concentration wanes, and then, you know, then it's just okay. <laughs> you know, but it wasn't quite, you know, the sharpness that it had. And um, 
So there are these practical benefits from it like that. Um, in Buddhist practice, there's a number of, uh, the Buddha, uh, maybe three primary uh, benefits that are talked about. One is, um, it's just a very pleasant way, the, the Buddhist word is, to, to abide in the present moment with ease and happiness. There's a lot of ease, it's just a delightful way of being alive. Just to sit there and feel this pleasure and delight and peace of in the present moment. Nothing else needs to happen. To have settled the the uh, the, um, the wanting mind, the the scared mind, the uh, the hateful mind, to settle it and quiet it, so the mind's not spinning and reaching out and concerned about things and this and that and jumping around, and have it just settled, and so settled that it's not even bored with nothing happening, because boredom is an agitation of the mind. So if you can quiet the agitation and just feel the goodness of being alive, the goodness of just breathing, and nothing needs to happen. You don't have to get anywhere or attain anything or prove yourself to anyone or apologize for anything. You can just sit there and breathe contentedly, happily. That's one of the benefits of samadhi the Buddha talked about. A pleasant abiding uh, uh, in the in the present moment. The second <clears throat> is that um, uh, samadhi is a great support for the inner work that we're doing in, along the path of liberation. Uh, it's not easy for some people to get concentrated, uh, and sometimes it's the people who have the most difficulty that benefit the most from it. There are people who have some natural aptitude to get concentrated and it's kind of, I'm kind of in awe occasionally when I meet some of you and wow, you know, they just came to the intro class. <laughs> you, know, you know, wow, that's pretty impressive. But sometimes when it's too easy, uh, it's not always so helpful. And I don't want to go into details now. Um, but uh, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is give a little, little encouragement for those of you who are like me, who concentration didn't come easily. And sometimes when it doesn't come easily, it's actually the better benefits that come in the long term. But one of the benefits is it's a purification practice. We have to, as we try to develop the concentration, what we'll inevitably bump up against is all the, all the forces within us that keep us from getting concentrated. All the fears and desires and hates and unresolved emotions and feelings we have and all kinds of stuff that goes on. All the inner messages that we're telling ourselves all the time. You know, they say that most of depression, not of most, but a lot of depression has to do with um, uh, rumination, renumeration. (laughs) 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 Rumination. And and, uh, so to be able to stop all that, quiet all that down, and work through all that and settle beyond it, 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 even if it takes years, is a really dig- uh, noble thing to do, a wonderful thing to do. So it's very healing to do this path. Some people find that the feeling of wholeness, of being present, um, is um, uh, to have that as a reference point for their lives, to know it's possible, gives them a whole different sense of how to live their lives uh, that they didn't know before when they thought the only thing they were allowed to do was to, I don't know, 
have beautiful clothes and beautiful cars and beautiful houses and beautiful bank accounts and beautiful partners and beautiful whatever, you know, it's all these things, that's what it took. But to realize, no, you don't have to have any of that stuff. You can, you can just settle, settle and discover this wonderful peace here. So, um, <clears throat> so that can be very healing for some people. It also uh, uh, prepares the ground to allow, it's kind of like, like a concentration kind of begins to open up, it's kind of like creating a, maybe like a more like a blank canvas, it kind of like clears the air or there's housekeeping inside so that uh, the mind is in a, a poise or in a place where it can start developing itself, cultivating itself. You can develop stronger mindfulness. You can de- develop all kinds of these wonderful mental qualities. We have, a f- we have a whole host of mental faculties in our minds, capacities that we have that can be developed and grow and become strong. And uh, we're not here to kind of be spiritual athletes, you know, and do spiritual gymnastics, but our capacity to be generous, capacity to be kind and loving and compassionate, our capacity to have equanimity, our capacity to be wise and discerning, Um, there's our capacity to be mindful and present, our capacity to be equanimous in the middle of conflict and fights. There's all these things can be developed that uh, will serve us in all kinds of... uh, challenges that we go through in our lives. So the concentration kind of prepares the ground to make it easier to develop these beautiful qualities we have that are a lot harder to develop if we're distracted and caught up in all kinds of preoccupations. Uh, And in particular is to develop the different qualities of mind and states of mind that are most supportive for letting go deeply. Uh, uh, the path of liberation is a path of letting go. Letting go of what we cling to, what we hold on to, what we're caught by or trapped by. And discover some kind of freedom of uh, the heart, freedom of where our breathing feels like we're breathing freely, our mind feels open and free. It's a phenomenal thing to let go into this kind of freedom that we're capable of having. But letting go is not easy. To let go in the depth of our hearts, depth of our minds, and some of the the deepest attachments we have, we don't even know we have. That's one of the reasons to do is like concentration, get really still and mindful, is only then can you begin seeing where some of the deepest attachments are that you didn't even know you had. So I don't know, that maybe, I don't know, maybe you think that's bad news to hear, but, <clears throat> but you know, it's, for many people it's a mystery why they suffer. And they try to figure it out and understand and analyze and go to, you know, talk with friends and journal and do therapy and, and they never quite get to the heart of it. Uh, sometimes because the heart of it is so subtle or so subliminal or so, you know, almost subconscious maybe <clears throat> that uh, unless, unless the mind is very bright and strong and concentrated and still can you see the subtle operating of the mind. So, so to prepare the ground to see deeply but also to prepare the context of the mind and the heart so it can let go. It can be frightening to let go. I remember there was a point in my life, my practice, where I knew I had to let go of how I defined myself, my self-definition, my self-identity. I felt I could see clearly the way I was caught up in the whole selfing world was painful, wasn't serving me, was a limitation, was not good. And, um, And... 
I couldn't let go. I was afraid. It felt like I was standing on the edge of an abyss and someone told me to step over the edge. And um, so I had to keep practicing and practicing. And the practice, as I kept practicing, I started experiencing states of well-being where the self wasn't needed. And as I started having a sense of well-being, then it became easier to let go because I was letting go into something that was really nice. And so part of the function of developing strong concentration is to have a strong sense of well-being that uh, allows you to kind of feel it's safe, it's okay to do the deepest spiritual work of letting go because it's so clear it's good to let go. It's so much, you know, it's so much better than anything else. And generally, it's the people who uh, develop uh, uh, good concentration who have the easiest time with the whole path of letting go. Some people develop very strong mindfulness that can also lead to liberation, but uh, they don't have some of the benefits of the container of joy or well-being of wholeness that um, can make it a lot easier to let go. And so the people who have only have mindfulness sometimes uh, have to kind of face their demons sometimes in a much more... I don't know what the adjective is. <laughs> Courageous way. So, um, <clears throat> so samadhi, kind of a little bit of what it is, the benefits from it, the purposes of it. So, maybe I'll say uh, one more thing. And this is another one of the, I'll highlight it by saying this is one of the important points I wanted to make today. What we're doing here, and both in mindfulness meditation and concentration meditation, is that we're engaging the attentional faculties of the mind. And um, uh, our capacity, human capacity for attention, and I'm using the word attention as an umbrella term for a whole bunch of faculties that have to do allow us to perceive, recognize, know, be aware. <clears throat> And there's a lot, we, ha- we, were, we, we were constructed in such a way that we have a lot of mental faculties, mental uh, um, capacities uh, that are different from each other, but that can work in unison in order to cultivate mindf- mindful state or concentrated state. And so, um, for example, um, the, um, so there's in, in, the, in the classic Buddhist texts, they talk about four different um, uh, qualities, distinct qualities that support how to get concentrated. And, and, and then the list actually has more. But um, one of them is to have desire. There has to be some desire. But the kind of desire, you know, I told earlier, you can't be greedy and you can't be conceited in desire. But there's no real concentration unless you're, you can, occasionally you can fall accidentally into concentrated states. And you don't know why. But if you want to develop a capacity, some capacity to kind of enter into it in a deeper way and in a regular way, there has to be some kind of healthy, balanced, non-greedy, non-conceited desire. And maybe one way of uh, seeing this is intentness. So desire, intentness, to be inspired, to be motivated. Um, And some people have this uh, really strongly. That's their specialty. 
Um, I've met people who seems like their whole being is a being that's intent. That's their strength. Some people have um, a strength of just having a desire that they have one desire and they're going to persist with that desire no matter what. And they're just, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. And this is, so this is what I, I will do. I'm, if I'm supposed to get concentrated, that's what, I, that's what I'm going to do. However long it takes. I'm committed. Yes, but there's the news on the computer. No, but there's TV. But there's, but, you know, you know, and I have to you can go put my clothes in the dryer. There's all these things that can happen, right? But some people are like, this is what I'm doing. And there's a clarity and an organizational force that comes along with that. So there's maybe a variety of different mental faculties that come along with, that are associated with this idea of desire, chanda. The second one is, um, there is, um, um, I forgot. Going through the list, I, I will come back to it. The last one, and, and it's, is investigation. The uh, the ability to investigate, to consider, to evaluate, to recognize what's going on and engage with it in a cur- curiosity and interest, for some people, is what gets them concentrated, gets them really zeroed in and present. There I am, present for it. <clears throat> Another is uh, some people have a lot of uh, a very pure mind or pure soul or something. <clears throat> uh, 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 when, the, when the mind is, when people's inner life is very pure, very sincere, that uh, it's a lot easier to drop in because they're not being pulled around by their greed and their hate and their confusion and their fear. There's a simplicity. So to have cultivated a simplicity and a purity of mind um, is a f- capacity we have that some people use, that's the strength they have that allows them to get concentrated. And uh, that's the last one, fourth one. What? Oh, yeah, virya. It's virya. It's uh, energy. So there's a whole, a whole complex of things which uh, have to do with um, effort. The, um, and the word is virya, which sometimes can be seen as, sometimes translates as courageous effort. Um, I, I associate it with, uh, for myself, with persistence. And so the idea of persistence, of engagement, of applying oneself um, is uh, some people's strength. So like myself, uh, I don't think of myself uh, the way I kind of lived, grew up and whatever my, my, the natural kind of the original state of my mind, that I had much capacity for concentration. But uh, what I compensated for, what supported me to get concentrated, I have a, a lot of capacity for persistence. And so persistence is what carried me through. And so that, then the, the gift of concentration came. So what I'm trying to say here, there are, there's a whole host of mental faculties that are come into play when we're, when we're engaged in attention, attention practices. And there are others, and we'll talk about more of them as we go through this, these five weeks. And so, um, to say that is meant to be a corrective to some idea that there's only one way to get concentrated, and I'm going to hold my attention and bear down and just be there and not waver. That, most people, that's not going to work. 
what, what helps and what's important both for the mindfulness practice and the concentration practice is to do the practice as a way of understanding yourself. Understand how you work and what are the different uh, strengths that you have, what are some of the different attentional faculties that are come most natural to you and how do you engage them? How do you uh, bring into bring in that which you're strong at or strongest at and, um, and so they support you. So someone else, like me, persistence works for me. It might not work for someone else. There are some people from what, uh, who I know who, I don't, I don't think of them as someone who has much persistence, but their strength is they have this amazing capacity to let go. So they, you know, they even look kind of lazy, but they can just let go and let go. That's what their strength is. And that wasn't my strength when I started practicing. Persistence. <laughs> I, I wouldn't let go. <laughs> and, um, and, then, um, and then, as I said, you know, this idea of desire or intentness, that's some people's strength. So it's not quite the same as, as the persistence. It means like, you know, there's a kind of a organizing oneself around what one's intent. By, by golly, this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, and it's so strong to be inspired. Some people have beginner's luck with meditation. Maybe some of you have had that experience. Uh, that, uh, you know, you... you uh, no, not at all. Huh? <laughs> uh, so there happens occasionally that someone, you know, you, you, you get introduced to Buddhist meditation and Buddhism is like the great world religion and it's, it's exotic and exciting and mysterious and it's like so special and so wonderful. And so the aura of meditation and the fascination with it, and it's so inspiring and interesting. Some people just like, when they first come, they get, oh, this is so great. They get concentrated because of all that. But then they come and keep meditating for a while, and after a week or two or three, it's like the fascination or the exotic aspect falls away, and then they're left with themselves. And that's when the practice begins. And so, there, there, so the idea is, to, if you really want to develop the samadhi thing, you want to be, uh, there's a few things I've said here. <clears throat> I think it helps a lot to enter into it with a lot of respect. If, and if, you, if the word is okay for you, even with a sense of reverence, and if the word is okay for you, the concept's okay with you, even with a sense of hu- humility, a humbleness. But if you try too hard to be humble, you won't get concentrated either. That just gets in the way. So you can't overdo any of this. It has to be sincere. And, uh, but it's some kind of sincerity. And then um, <clears throat> it helps if you uh, are not in a hurry and you enter into it as this is a self-learning exercise. Let me learn what it takes for me to engage and get concentrated. How does my mind work? How do I get distracted? How do I get caught up in things? How do I bring myself back? from being distracted in a way that supports me to get settled and steady. Uh, and and uh, what are some of the different things that I'm using uh, to be present here? Some people will use the power of observation. And uh, that's one faculty we have. Just settle back and just observe as a kind of impersonal observer. Just everything just goes by. It's very impersonal. And that impersonal observation helps some people really settle down. Some people find that that doesn't work so well for them. But rather, <clears throat> uh, to use a different attentional faculty, which is recognition. 
if I just recognize what's going on, I'm going to stay concentrating on my breathing, but if I don't observe it, but I can't just observe it, I have to be a little bit more involved. I think I need to recognize what's happening when I'm breathing. What are the sensations that come into play? And what does it feel like to breathe in my body? And what parts of my body get engaged? <clears throat> and that kind of interest and curiosity and recognition is what works for some people to get involved. I've known some people who have a playful mind and, um, and they, they get concentrated by doing it playfully. I shouldn't maybe admit this, but there are times, and I've done this for 40 years, right? So, you know, I've had a chance to do a lot of different things. But uh, there are times when I've uh, done meditation like I was playing pinball machine. <laughs> just uh, the pinball machine, you know, just kind of like, you know, trying to, you know, I had to do something to get sometimes. And uh, so you can be playful. There are some people who find that um, having a very specific technique that has steps to it, do one, two, three, four, five, they're on board. They can do that and they can get concentrated. Someone else you tell them to do that way, they just tie themselves in knots. They can't do it, they forget, what am I on, what step am I on now? And it just doesn't work for some people. And they're better to be told, don't do anything. <laughs> no technique. Just observe, just be open, open awareness, settle with it, um, and just be intimate with your experience. Something like that. So what I'm trying to convey is that there's a wide range of ways to develop samadhi, to enter into samadhi. There's not just one way. And if you want to do it in a way that really serves you, you want to start learning about what works for you, what supports you, get interested. What helps you stay present, stay involved, stay connected, stay focused, stay steady, stay interested? Uh, what helps you not to get distracted and pulled off in different places and all that? So that's some of the things I wanted to say here today. Um, and that's a lot of words for a class on samadhi where there should be very few words. So um, should we do a little meditation? So if you want to stand and stretch your legs and kind of refresh yourself been sitting there for a while, please do. So in, um, oftentimes, it can be, it's useful when you're going to meditate to do a little bit of preparation for the meditation, which means you don't just sit down and Try to go zero to sixty. You know, you can meditate. You know, but you want to prepare yourself to see if, within some kind of simple reason, simple way, that you are preparing yourself to put yourself in a in a mode of being that is conducive for being present in a kind, supportive, caring way. Here, it's a little bit conducive to uh, be present in a way that maybe has some healthy humility or some healthy reverence for what you're about to do. And one of the ways to do that preparation is to have those feelings towards yourself, to have some degree of respect and reverence 
care for yourself as a human being here. And that meditation is not a sport. Meditation is not a competition. Meditation is not about (coughs) collecting experiences. But the meditation is a way of being deeply connected, deeply present for yourself in a caring, reverential way as if you're at this moment for meditation that you're the most important person right now and that offering yourself this time to sit here and be present for the experience, the lived experience this person has is the task. So maybe some kind of reflection like that, preparing yourself for what we're about to do. And then taking a comfortable, alert posture and gently closing your eyes. And, and uh, the work of samadhi, the practice of samadhi, can begin with the care you give to your posture. Some of you might have some sense of how to sit upright or sit strong or sit stable, that the posture itself is a posture of being present, being concentrated, being intent, that you're really expressing through your whole body, you're really here. Some of you might have seen uh, these photographs of little babies who are sitting upright with uh, just their diapers on, so their upper chest, you see their back, and you see this wonderful, alert, alive, attentive spine. Some of you who are sitting in the chairs, you might experiment with sitting a little bit more up. Don't, don't slump in the chair. That you might find yourself then a little bit more with your chest and your spine, a little bit more engaged and here. And then with your eyes closed, <clears throat> it can be helpful to take a few long, slow, deep breaths. And those deeper breaths at the beginning, it's a little bit part of the ritual of preparation, of connecting to yourself. And perhaps as you exhale more fully, letting go. Maybe letting go a little bit, lightening up on the concerns of the day. letting go into your body here. And then then letting your breathing return to normal. And to offer you a little preparatory technique for those of you who might like techniques Bring your attention to the top of your head, the area of your scalp. Feel what's there. And then as you exhale, relax or imagine you're relaxing your whole scalp. 
Bring your attention to your face. And just feel the sensations there. Maybe there's some tension, holding, but whatever is there, heat. And as you exhale, to soften the face, relax. And then take a few moments to feel your shoulders. Whatever sensations are there, just feel them. And as you exhale, soften in the shoulders. And then feel your arms, arms and hands. And as you exhale, softening, relaxing of the arms and the hands. And then feel your rib cage area, front rib cage, back rib cage. Take a few moments to feel this, your whole chest upper back and then as you exhale relax and soften the ribcage chest and then feel the area of your belly below your diaphragm down to the pelvic floor. And as you exhale, softening the belly, that whole region, maybe even letting the belly fall forward. Soft belly. And then take a few moments to feel your legs, down your legs to your feet. And as you exhale, to soften, relax legs and feet. If you put all those parts of the body together, you kind of get the full body. The body is the temple. And in the temple here is where you're gonna practice. This is where the lived life is. To allow the thinking mind to settle down, 
relax. And to begin orienting your mind, your attention, your thoughts, to the experience of breathing. And the experience of the body breathing and the attention you bring to it is the laboratory for learning about ourselves, learning how we pay attention, learning what happens when we pay attention. You have an amazing capacity, capacities of attention of awareness. What's it like for you to engage them now? For the simple purpose of being with your in-breaths and out-breaths as they occur. I'm going to offer you a few different words, concepts around being with your breathing. You might see if any one of these or some of them resonate for you. To allow your attention to be attuned to the experience of breathing. to become intimate with the experience of breathing. To be intent on staying present for each breath, one after the other.
to allow yourself to trust that all you need to do is to stay with your breathing, trusting your breathing. Is there some way of being attentive to your breathing that supports stillness in the mind? Can you feel or recognize some feeling of stillness within? healthy, wholesome stillness that supports you in being present for each breath, breathing in and breathing out. Perhaps there's a quiet way of being interested in the subtle sensations of breathing. Perhaps to be with your breathing, you don't need to be in the control tower looking down at it. Maybe it's more like floating on the ocean. The gentle waves lift you up and lift you, lower you down as you 
the waves come. So you're almost like your awareness is resting in the body's experience of breathing. And there's the movements of breathing, the changing sensations of breathing. They're like waves that lift, lift you up and down. Where awareness is intimate with the sensations of breathing. Is there some way that you hold yourself apart from your experience, apart from your meditation, the breathing, by being caught up in commentary? Analyzing, evaluating, judging. Is it keeping you at a distance? And if it is, Maybe you can align, reorganize that commentary so that it supports you in being with the breathing. So it's more like it's helping you investigate or helping you make field notes of your experience helps you be present, closer in. And finally, if you're not distracted by thoughts, if you're present for your breathing, if your 
the thinking that if you are thinking or the thoughts are about the breathing itself, assume that you're doing it all right. It's all good. Try not to have some special idea of what it's supposed to look like to be concentrated on the breathing. If your primary focus and concern is your breathing, assume you're doing it right. And before we end this sitting, notice if there are any ways that you feel more settled, settled or calm or centered or more here than you were before the big, before the sitting. And even if you were, feel like you were distracted and thinking a lot during this time, even 
with that? Are there symptoms in your body, in your breathing, in your your eyes, shoulders, stomach, in the energetic energies of your body, that you might be a little bit more settled, connected. And if so, take a few moments to recognize that, to feel that, what that's like. And then you can take a few long, slow, deep breaths. Feel your body, and feel the chair and the floor. Remember you're here in this room. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes. As a guided meditation, what we did here was maybe fairly unconventional. But what I was uh, trying to kind of build on or reinforce with this idea that you can start getting interested in what goes on in you. How do you engage with something as simple as focusing on the breath, concentrating the breath? What are the different elements, the mental factors, faculties that come to bear? Uh, how do you understand better the inner landscape of who you are, what goes on in you, so that you're more able to kind of be engaged and participating fully in this experience of just being present for your breathing. So maybe some of you learned something about yourself and it's useful to do this. Because one of the things we're trying to do, and this is maybe one of the kind of def- kind of a definition of samadhi, concentration, to really get concentrated, to really be in samadhi, is to have our full attention, our full attention centered on something. Our full attention is engaged harmoniously on the same thing. So let me give you an example of what's not of not full attention. So this is more of an analogy. So. Um, I can pick up this striker with my, um, you know, between my little finger and my ring finger, kind of, and hold it up here. And that's being held fine, so it's great. It gives me a lot of ability to do other things with the rest of my hand, right? So with the rest of my hand, I can pick up this clock here. That's nice. But there's still ability, so I could also pick up this glass. That's Wonderful. I can probably even figure out something else to hold. I can do a lot of different things, you know, at the same time. So it's kind of like that with our attention. We can sometimes have kind of a little bit of attention in the breathing, 
but you know, it's only a little bit. And then we're also focusing on, you know, our shopping list or, you know, some argument we had earlier in the day. But it's not just that. We might also be thinking about, I need to get my oil changed in my car and when do I figure out time for doing that? All these things can be happening at the same time. Because just as we can hold many things in the hand, the mind can be involved in all kinds of things. And, uh, and they can jump around between things. So you can be with the breath for a little bit and then you jump off to something else and then this and that. Then you come back to your breathing. or your ki- I've done this a lot where I, I kind of congratulate myself. Hey, Gil, you're doing really well. You're more or less staying with your breath because one breath after the other, you're there. You know, that's nice. But, uh, you know, I'm, you know, you know, planning dinner menus for the next week at home. You know, while I'm kind of staying with the breath, I'm capable of multitasking that way. So in that kind of way, uh, my full attention is not with one thing. So if I want to have my full attention with a striker, my, my whole hold hand, I don't just hold it between two fingers. I, I grab it with my whole hand, my whole hand, my hand is fully, that's what it's about, is holding the striker. If I'm going to touch the top of this wooden teaching platform, I can touch it lightly with a finger and kind of feel it. Um, and then I can do other things with my other fingers, right? But I could also put my whole flat hand on the, t- on the wood here and feel the whole wholeness, like full contact. So when we're developing samadhi, concentration, what we're looking for, what we're moving towards is a fullness of attention on one thing. So there's actually in that fullness, we're not split, fragmented. And so we're not, some of our attention is not going into dinner planning or conversations with people or planning this and that or whatever we're doing. Uh, Well, you'll do that. So it's not a mistake that that happens. So don't be bad, feel bad about yourself. The, the, The trick is to learn to recognize that's what's happening and say, you know, right now my attention is divided. The task is to have the full attention on this one thing. And, um, and if you do that, what will happen is that a certain kind of thinking will stop, will not be fed, and be, it won't be involved in it. And a certain kind of thinking is called discursive thinking. Discursive thinking is where you're having a conversation with someone, or a conversation with yourself, or you're doing lots of commentary about this and that, and trying to figure something out, or thinking about the past and telling a story about the past, and, you know, she said, and so I should have said, and she said, and, you know, and, or you're thinking about the future, you know, I'll, you know, when I see my boss, I'm going to say that, and this is all, it's called discursive thinking, kind of like having, almost like a conversation, or people who visualize more than they speak when they think, they're having a whole movie going on, that's going on. So um, if you have full attention on the breathing, there's not going to be any discursive thinking. But there might be other kinds of thinking. There might be very simple, innocent thinking, like, you know, um, that was a nice long exhale. Yeah, I was there for that exhale. That was good. Oh, and that beginning of the inhale, I missed it. I wonder, next time, next time it comes back, I'm going to really try to be there with the beginning of the inhale and feel what that's like. I wonder if now, 
I've kind of been watching my breath for a while. I wonder if, what it's like if I feel it instead, this physical, the sensuality of it. So it is a kind of thinking, but it's thinking about the thing you're focusing on. And so now you're using, the, that's part of the attentional faculties we have, is to have the attention, to, the thinking be about what we're focusing on. It's not strong samadhi, but it's better than the alternative. <laughs> you're there, you're present, and it maybe keeps you there, that kind of thinking. It's evaluation, investigation, what is this experience like? And then as we recognize this and know what we're doing this, as we get to know ourselves, then we say, oh, how can I adjust this to help me be more present, more still, more focused, more like the full attention is there. So one thing you might discover is that if, you're, you, if, you, if you are thinking about the breathing, maybe you can think more quietly, whisper about the breathing in your mind. And that's, you know, you're, so you're still there, it's supporting you to stay present, but still whisper. Have gaps. Don't just have a fast monologue. It's like, oh, there's the inhale. That was a little choppy, that inhale. Here comes the exhale. That feels smooth. It's very, very simple. Stay there, stay there. At some point, you don't have to make that, you find that as you enter into more and more the full attention, the quiet attention, you're able to stay there with the breathing without having those little thoughts that encourage you and point you in that direction. Stay there, be with that. So the idea what we're looking for is full attention. And if there's full attention, the discursive mind becomes quiet. And with time, other other parts of the mind become quieter and quieter. The full attention. So I offer you that as a concept that you might now experiment a little bit with as part of the kind of this area. It's going to look, try to look a little bit and see what is, what is it f- to be fully here, not split, not thinking about other things. If you do start thinking about other, th- other things, take your time. Don't, don't feel bad. Don't criticize yourself. Don't feel like you did it wrong. Because it's very important to notice that's a split attention. I'm fragmented. That's not full attention on one thing. Take your time and feel and sense and really recognize what this is like. Because if you criticize yourself, like, oh, here I'm thinking about dinner again, and you jerk your mind back, you don't learn anything. But if you take your time, oh, this is what it's like to be thinking about dinner, and this is what it's like to be fragmented and be split and not really be present, this is what it's like. That recognition, it does a number of things. One is, it keeps you engaged in the present moment. It supports you to go concentrated, which is to be present in an undistracted way, to have that kind of interest. And the other is that you kind of begin to see the landscape better. And the better you understand the landscape, the easier it is to get yourself engaged and present for the experience you're having. Okay, now, now I know what it's like to be f- caught up in thoughts, be fragmented. Now let's see if I can get myself fully present for this experience of breathing. Does that make sense? Okay. So I've uh, talked a lot, 
do we have any questions you want to ask and and uh, about what I've said or anything you'd like for clarification or So I do have a question. What role, if any, samadhi and concentration plays in uh, managing impulses? In managing thoughts? In uh, managing impulses. Impulses, oh. So the, um, uh, generally, <clears throat> that uh, as people get more concentrated, they are... Uh, more in the present moment and so then you have a better chance to see the impulse arise. Also, when you're concentrated uh, and have a certain stability and concentration also comes with stability and calm, uh, you're less likely to be uh, pulled into the impulse. Generally. And I say generally because there are times (coughs) where uh, we develop concentration and the concentration gets hijacked, and uh, and uh, it's not you know no, no choice of your your part, but you develop it. It's like, it's like developing a muscle, kind of, and so you develop this muscle, or you maybe I don't know if muscle is the right word, but uh, it's like you develop an ener- you develop an energy, and that energy is flowing, and you are very happily having it flow in the breathing. But then suddenly you think of the best thought you've ever had in the world. It's the great novel, you know, you're going to, you know, the great solution to the world's problems. And now the that energy of concentration you have gets diverted, gets hijacked, and it focuses on that, imp- that, and you can't get it off. It's like you're glued on now. So with sometimes with, with strong concentration, uh, it can a little bit be problematic with impulses because you just follow through on the impulses more fully you know, full attention to them. But generally, concentration is an antidote to impulsive. Concentration is a steadiness, a calmness that brings more clarity, that brings more centeredness, so that we're more or less likely to be pulled off in those things. Uh, thank you. I'm wondering if it would also work post-factum, like let's say not in the context of meditation, but in day-to-day life, um, unskillful impulse has arisen. Can we deliberately employ concentration to let go of it, or not really? Yes, I think so. Oh, great! <clears throat> so, if you find an impulse that you really want to act on, so if you have some capacity of concentration or some interest in it, you can sometimes bring your attention on something else. Then, okay. uh, and that just that you know, kind of that uh, bringing your attention somewhere else takes the energy away from the impulse. Oh, thanks so much. In the outer hall? Jim? Hmm. No, it is okay. Um, as significant and important as I realize my breath is and so is my body, it's my livelihood, it's my life, still I get bored watching it and restless. Uh If you're bored, your attention is divided. You won't get bored if you have your full attention on the breathing. 
And so sometimes uh, uh, boredom is a sign of aversion, of fear, of pulling away. Of uh, Sometimes it's a sign of greed because we want something else more than we want the breath. It's, it's a, it's a, boredom is a symptom of being held apart, staying, of not being connected and intimate with the experience. So you might kind of look and see what else is going on for you. When you're bored, how are you separating yourself from the experience? How are you pulling away? How are you not there? It's restlessness, basically. Uh So you have to deal with the restlessness more than the boredom then. But restlessness, too, is a way... It's it's a symptom that you're not staying present. So what is it that happens to you when you get close and stay present? uh, What is it that gets triggered? Is it fear? The restlessness comes from like, oh God, I've got a million things to do, million things to take care of. That that sounds like anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you need to figure out a way of settling your anxiety, or be wise, have a wise attention to your anxiety, so that your anxiety doesn't hijack you. You know, like you know what the hi- this anxiety to be like the pirates that boarded the ship and took over. That's not good. So how do I do that? Develop concentration. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And also, I mean, uh, you know, one of the, the, you know, the the main thing we teach here at IMC is mindfulness. So it might be that uh, you need some high quality attention to this whole anxiety thing. Maybe you have to get under the surface of it and really learn to be with it. And one of the ways, one of the great tools with mindfulness and with the concentration, is to learn how to be so fully attentive to what's happening. You're attentive to it, like to anxiety, but you're not caught by it. So that requires strong mindfulness. So, so then that, that requires learning how to be mindful of anxiety. So it's possible for you that uh, before you can get concentrated, you have to do some preparatory work of settling, working with, understanding, coming to the other side of that anxiety. So here in the front, maybe this. So I definitely have anxiety. Is it on? Yeah. So I definitely have anxiety. And I found that I concentrate better and can focus on breath, whatever, if one part of my body is moving. Uh So it's kind of like tap therapy. Uh They'll have you sit there and tap your leg Mm -hmm. and arm, or my foot will sit there and be moving, but I'm totally focused on this, and I don't even realize part of my body is moving. Uh But it creates like that, is it kinetic energy? Yeah, yeah. It like focuses that so that my brain isn't focused on, oh, my leg is hurting. Uh Yeah, so some people, uh, the movement of the breathing, that's the movement they'll use. And some people will breathe a little bit stronger than usual, just so they get more engaged that way. But yeah, so so one of the things, <clears throat> so some people who, who are anxious find that they have to really do mindfulness and anxiety to, to be able to get concentrated. Some people find that concentration is the, is the is the medicine for anxiety, and they can just kind of give themselves over the concentration, and lo and behold, all their anxious thoughts fall away, and uh, and that's the solution. But you know yourself well enough to know that some kind of movement is helpful. Uh, there are people who wear malas, these uh, prayer be- beads, and they, they uh, you know, they <clears throat> every breath they take, they're with their breathing, but they move one mala. And that's enough to, for the nervous energy to kind of have a way of doing something. And some people find that uh, doing walking meditation, 
uh, is just as valid as sitting meditation, but because it's kinesthetic, uh, kinetic, it's movement, it's in the body, that it's a lot easier to handle the anxiety if we're moving. There are times when I've had a lot of strong emotions. I couldn't sit like this, but I, I did a really fast walking meditation. And then it's the fast walking that let it, kept, kept me present. And so that's another option for you. So I think we're going to have someone who, um, over there, that last one, someone who I don't usually, doesn't usually ask. <laughs> Uh, earlier, you explained that to some people, um, concentration, they believe that concentration is about focusing the attention on one single point, like a laser or a line. That's exactly how I feel. Uh, and you say that it wasn't what it was supposed to, to be like. Um, so I wanted to ask you why do you think it's wrong? And, um, okay, so, <coughs> so um, it's kind of like this that. Um, when people think there has to be the single laser focus, <clears throat> it's kind of like the if you <clears throat> take my hand here and I have a, my hand open and flat and then all the fingers come together to a point and I hold it tense and then I'm kind of going like this at the object of attention, kind of attacking it kind of. And that works for some people and uh, you know they can get somewhat concentrated and kind of work, but it's, uh, sooner or later any tension involved in being concentrated has to relax, otherwise it can't go further. Another way of, of uh, doing this <clears throat> is that I think it's much better is to keep the mind very soft and relaxed. The hand open, like, like the mind, like the hand is open like this, and then, and then bring the, whatever the object of attention is, maybe it's a single thing, like a point, but have these things come together and touch in the soft part of the palm. And the one-pointedness is right here in that contact, but there's been no contractions of the mind in order to have that. So the mind stays kind of open and relaxed. And so, and that's much more useful. And as the, <clears throat> as the, as the attention gets stiller, quieter, more focused, uh, you might be, end up with only a single point of focus. Like you had it for like this, tense. But uh, but the mind is soft and relaxed. Thank you very much. That's very helpful. Okay. So then I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll end since it's nine o'clock. <clears throat> uh, one of the descriptions that the Buddha gave <clears throat> for a really well-concentrated mind. So you don't go home and expect you can go home tonight and just like do this. <laughs> but it's kind, of, it's kind of a very nice description, I think. So uh, it kind of speaks to the potential that we have. We, our minds have amazing potentials. And, uh, and all of you have these wonderful, ama- amazing, awe-inspiring potentials that live inside of you. It's just a matter of developing them and putting time in and letting them grow and learning wisely how to let them come forth. So this is a Buddha's description of a well-concentrated mind. Mind that's purified, purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfections, malleable, wieldy, steady, and attained to imperturbability. I love these words. Malleable, wieldy. Malleable means soft and can be shaped, 
Wieldy means you can, it can do work. Steady, still and steady. Um, imperturbability, nothing can shake the mind. Purified, bright, clean, unblemished. It's a beautiful thing. So, um, so this was meant to be kind of an introduction to this topic for today. And we'll have four other classes or evenings like this and we'll do different aspects of it and, and um, different dimensions of this whole samadhi thing. And, um, and uh, it isn't so much that I'm hoping that you'll get into some state of concentration through this series. That would be nice. But I don't want to set that up as an expectation that that's what's needed in order to be here. Uh, what I'd rather do is to say that um, <clears throat> um, where you, uh, is we want to use the samadhi teachings and the understanding and to begin understanding some of the different ways in which we can engage our mind, how our mind works, how we can, bring, how we can use the different faculties of the mind for our own benefit. And so but in order to do that, we're learning about different component parts, different aspects of how the mind engages and works. And that's much more interesting at this point. And if you learn that, that's going to be useful anywhere you go. It's also useful to developing samadhi. So the two, so, so don't feel like you have to have samadhi. Does that make sense? And uh, finally, a couple of things. Um, there's no requirements for this course. You can just come and be here. I'm happy you're here. Now, if I was going to have a requirement, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for those of you who are curious what it would be, (laughs) is that you would meditate 45 minutes a day during these five weeks. And if you can't do, 45 minutes in one chunk is too much time for you then you would uh, uh, sit the number of times in the day to add up to 45 minutes. So maybe three times, 15 minutes three times, for example. Um, so, um, because I think that uh, to really kind of apply this and study it in the laboratory, whatever we're talking about here, and get curious and understand yourself, that's the laboratory, is to do that, you know, the 45 minutes. So, so if there was a requirement... And then finally, thank you for coming. Uh, for those of you who might be new here, I want to uh, request of you that when you come back next time, 